welcome to Culinary Woman. I'm Mickey Maynard. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Join us. Hello and welcome to the Culinary Woman podcast. I'm Mickey Maynard, the editor of the Culinary Woman newsletter on Substack, and I'm the author of Satisfaction Guaranteed, How Zingerman's Built a Corner Deli into a Global Food Community. I have been on what's used to be called a book tour, although I didn't really go a lot of places. I have been doing television interviews, radio interviews, interviews with digital and print publications. I have done a couple of signings in bookstores, although not as many as I would have done in other times. I've made appearances with Zingerman's and essentially been very busy promoting my book, and I am absolutely delighted at the warm response to it. Thank you all so much for your kind wishes, and I appreciate hearing from every single one of you. This past week, I was a guest on Cookbooks with Virginia, which is the Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube series that's hosted by Virginia Willis, the chef, cookbook author, and media trainer who's based in Atlanta. Virginia and I have actually never met in person, as you will hear on this podcast, but we have a mutual friend in Natalie Dupre, the famous Southern chef who I first started watching on television when I was a young cook and who's been inspiring to me. And so I'm very thrilled to know Virginia, at least virtually. I hope you'll learn some things about the book, about me and about Virginia when you listen to this podcast episode. So I'm going to play you the audio of that appearance on Cookbooks with Virginia. Remember that you're listening to the audio from basically a television broadcast. And then I will come back after that audio and I will wrap everything up from here. So after this break, take a listen to my interview on Cookbooks with Virginia. And welcome to Cookbooks with Virginia. It has been a minute. It has definitely been a minute since I've done Cookbooks with Virginia. Lots and lots of travel and lots of great stuff. But I am so excited to be back. And on this week, I have Zing- Satisfaction Guaranteed, How Zingerman's Built a Corner Deli into a Global Food Community by Mickey Maynard. Do you want to know all about this incredible business? Do you want to know about Zing Train and I posted the book cover this morning, and I've had so many pings and DMs of people that they're Zingerman's graduates, and they know, well, what the heck is a deli doing graduating people? I mean, you get a a, a degree in pastrami? No, you do not. Well, what about Camp Bacon? How does, like, a Jewish deli have something called Camp Bacon? Well, you're going to find out. So today, I have a satisfaction guaranteed with Mickey Maynard, and I'm super excited have her on Cookbooks with Virginia and let us bring her on and ch- chatter up. Hey, Virginia, how are you? Hey, Mickey, I'm so good. How are you doing? Today? I'm doing real well, and I have to say, our weather here in Ann Arbor leaves a little bit to be desired. Last time I checked, it was 49 degrees. It's supposed to rain later today, and it's the opening day for the Detroit Tigers, so everybody down there is going to freeze. Oh, However, gosh, it's. That's right, I know. I think it's, a, I saw Coates, I haven't been outside yet today, but um, 
in Atlanta, I think that originally it was supposed to be like in the in the 30s or 40s. Oh my gosh! Yeah, kind of crazy town. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and and talk today. Yeah. You and I have had you and I have had interactions, and you've interviewed me, and I've always yeah. been so grateful. And I love reading your work, but Aww. I want to start out with so you've written Satisfaction Guaranteed. Right. I know a little bit about you, but will you please tell your story? for the folks watching today? Well, first of all, I want to explain how I met, in quotation marks, Virginia, because we've never actually met in physical person, but we have a common friend in Natalie Dupre, the famous Southern cookbook chef, and she was the first cookbook I ever asked my parents to give me. And yes, so her, her program aired up here on Detroit Public Television, and I wrote it down, and I said, this is what I want for Christmas. So years and years and years later, I noticed that you and Natalie were friends, yes. and I thought if you all were friends, I should know you. And I did get the pleasure of meeting Natalie because I joined a Les Dames de Scoffier tour in London. I'm a member of the New England Dames. She's a member, obviously, of her Dames, originally in Charleston. Right, and we right. met, and then I was just determined that, okay, now I need to know Virginia. So uh, I hope to get the pleasure of meeting you sooner rather than later. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes! And that's such a lovely story, and I have to yeah. tell you so many things in my life go back to Natalie Dupree. It's yeah. a really, she's a yeah. Okay, so I have to ask you, do you remember which cookbook it was of hers that you asked for? Oh, gosh. Um, no. You know, I should have looked that up before I came on. But no, it was, no, no, no. It would have probably been a very early cookbook that was yeah. available nationally because her yeah. show probably came on the air maybe in the 80s in yeah. on a national basis. Yeah, so, no, that yeah. would make sense. Yeah. So um, that was, that was uh, I mean, Natalie was so big then right yeah. like she, that was really her heyday and you know that was like she was one of the, the premier folks before yeah. um, food network started right right oh oh years before food network i mean this yeah, was back yeah, yeah. i mean i was i'm a little young to have watched julia child except in reruns but i did yeah. see her later shows yeah, and then natalie yeah. came on and i just found her to be very um very approachable very engaging very funny and the food absolutely looked delicious so. No, this is yeah. true. Okay, so let's bring it back. Yeah, okay. sure. You, okay, but you're a journalist. Yeah. Right? You've yeah. written about, you know, cars and baseball, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Oh, but I know you from the food bank. Right, right. So I, um, I grew up here in Michigan. I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I was going to be the first woman president of the United States. I understand that opportunity is still available. Um, I ended up in journalism because I did an internship at the White House, and one of my jobs was to read papers from across the Midwest. We do daily news summary for the president that was delivered to his desk every night, and every so often they would let me go to the Oval Office and put it on his desk. And in, re yeah, in reading all those newspapers, I thought, I don't think I want to be in politics. I want to be in journalism. And so I started to meet all the journalists covering the president. And then when I got back home, because this was my junior year, I just made it a real mission to become a journalist. And for the first part of my career, I covered politics. I covered business. I covered the automobile industry. I covered the airline industry. 
And I, I worked at some pretty famous places. I worked at USA Today. I worked at the New York Times here in Detroit. I was Detroit bureau chief. And one of the cool things about the New York Times is that they actually encourage you to write for other sections other than your own. Mine was Business Day. And so I pitched some stories to the dining section and they said, well, you're not a chef. You didn't go to culinary school. You didn't work in a restaurant. So unfortunately, we can't have you write for us. And I thought, well, darn, you know, I was becoming a journalist and not working in a restaurant. But I um, went to Paris and I studied cooking with Patricia Wells yeah, and if anybody gets the book, you'll notice that Patricia was kind enough to write a blurb for me, and we've kept in touch ever since then. And the first day in her class, what they do is they have you come in, they divide you up into pairs. I think there's 14 people in the class, and then you group at little individual cooking stations. And she walks around the room and supervises and explains things. And she came up behind me, and she whispered in my ear, you can cook. And I was su- it was such a compliment and so unexpected. And I came home from Paris and I decided I want to be a food writer or do some food writing. And I pitched the Sunday business editor a story about one of Patricia's friends, Ina Garten. And Ina invited and I knew her husband, Jeffrey, who was at Yale because of the automobile industry. And this was before Ina became what she is today. She invited me to come out to East Hampton. She made lunch. I interviewed her, and we wrote a story about Ina Gardner as a businesswoman. And that kind of kicked things off. Um, I continued to write about business. I actually made a transition from the New York Times over to National Public Radio. I was a professor at University of Michigan, at Arizona State, other places. And a few years ago, um, after my second round at NPR, at the show Here and Now, I decided, you know, I really want to focus on food journalism. And I was writing for Forbes about food and business, which seemed like the perfect transition from being business writer to being food writer. I started a newsletter called the Culinary Woman Newsletter that everybody is welcome to subscribe to on Substack. And then two years ago, a little bit over two years ago, I got an unexpected email from a literary agent. And the literary agent said, I went to the University of Michigan. I have shopped at Zingerman's for years. I think there should be a book about Zingerman's as a business. And I thought, okay, this is crazy. This never happens. I mean, you don't get notes from literary agents out of the blue. Exactly. But it made perfect sense because I had written about Zingerman's for many years. I'd taken many of their classes. And we started to write a book proposal. We talked to major publishers. Scribner's was one of the publishers that was interested. And on March 16th, 2020, we set up a meeting between my agent, myself, Kara Watson, an editor at Scribner's, and Ari Weinswag, who is one of the co-founders of Zingerman's. Well, guess what happened on March 16th, 2020? Yes, I'm very aware, yeah. The state of Michigan shut everything down. And Ari came to the meeting and he said, this is the worst day of my life. I just had to lay off 
300 people. So that was the start of this book project. Oh my God, that really literally just kind of brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. So, all right, that's amazing. Ina Garten, Patricia Wells, like this, the pedigree of this story is incredible. <laughs> what, what I'm afraid that, what I'm, what I'm concerned about in a way is that people may not know what Zingerman's is. So let's talk a little yeah, bit. Sure. About, yeah. Because I find it, you know, I remember a million years ago, Great Deli, I've heard Ari speak, but then it's not just a deli. No. It's like a community. It's a, it's a, it's business. It's, so my yeah. first question is, Will you give us an insight onto what Zingerman's is, and then why is there a business book about a deli? Right. So Zingerman's started with a single deli. It's on the cover of the book here in Ann Arbor in 1982. And for about 10 years, they were a single deli here in Ann Arbor, you know, just bumbling along, very popular. They'd gotten a lot of notice in national food magazines, but, you know, kind of like a local destination. And... What was happening with them was that their ideas were being borrowed, stolen, you might say. And the two founders, Paul Saginaw and Ari Weinswag, sat out on a bench in front of the deli and talked about what they wanted the future to be. And Ari was perfectly happy at the time to just stay based in Ann Arbor. And he traveled a lot and went to places like the Ballymaloo Cooking School and to all these producers in Italy and Spain and elsewhere. And Paul was seeing everything that they had built up being stolen by other people. And there were some pretty nasty lawsuits as a result now of it. Now, let me just, without going too deep in the dirt, do you mean like stealing recipes, stealing like, uh, well, stealing? Yeah, so one of the things that they were known for was, first of all, the appearance of the deli, which has a black and white floor. You know, it looks like very old school New York mm -hmm. deli. And then they named their sandwiches. They named them after people. They put ingredients together. They had um, pretty high level ingredients given, you know, that this is Ann Arbor. And another deli in town started to market its products in a very similar way, so much that Zingerman's felt that people were mistaking them for Zingerman's. Ah. Of course, they said, oh, no, you know, this is not you can't copyright recipes, which we all know. Um, right. We are not stealing from you. We are our own deli. You know, we are we are not pretending to be you. And that lo lawsuit went on for years and years. But what it taught Paul was that Singerman's had to grow. It had to take what it had built and it had to expand into other lines of businesses because if they made their own cheese and they made their own chocolate and they made their own bake their own bread. And they had, most importantly, a mail order operation. Then nobody could mistake any of those things for anybody else. So I think what really helped Zingerman's become the nationally known name that it is, is its mail order operation. And it's very likely that your folks who are watching this may never have been to Ann Arbor, but maybe somebody sent you a Zingerman's coffee cake or maybe maybe you got got on their website and saw the tuna and ordered some tuna or maybe you get a catalog from them because somebody sent you a gift and the mail order business is now about 45% of their total revenue wow. and um during the pandemic mail order basically sure. kept them going oh sure 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 and Ari's is you know Ari's is like crazy hairy it reminds me of like I mean like Rasputin-y type kind of guy, you know, like the crazy yeah. hair, he's tall and the shoulders, but he is a phenomenal speaker. Right. I mean, he is just, yeah. you, I, I, I've attended his um, 
inspirational talks at, at, at conferences and things like that. So my next question is, all right, so because they write their own books, the, they obviously sat on that bench outside, decided that they need to grow and do yeah. something different, and it's, and it's expanded way beyond a deli. And you cover it in this book. So let me take a minute for, first of all, everybody. So I want you to go to the cover of my Instagram. I want you to go to Instagram and look for the cover of this book. And if you see the cover of this book, you're going to like me and like Nikki. And then you're going to tag a friend and you can enter enter to win um, on my Instagram. So, so, uh, so they have books. They have a They have a cookbook, a bakery book. They have different books about their philosophy, which is really different. And we'll get into, but my question is, why would, why did they feel that they, that they needed you to write a book? Oh, (laughs) well, they didn't pick me to write the book. It was a completely independent project. And I think honestly, when we first, first started talking about it, they're kind of like, well, we've written, you know, 17 of our own books. If you want to read about Zingerman's, you can buy from us. And no, it wasn't hostile at all. I mean, I think it was just honestly being puzzled a little bit, like why would someone write a book about us when you can read our books, there's a million news articles, etc. So it wasn't that they took convincing. It was just kind of like, really? Um, And of course, but I knew both Paul and I knew Paul and Ari, and I knew so many people across the organization. And I felt like, you know, you can read a magazine article about a company, but you're not going to get, you know, I've got kind of detailed chapters in there on their business philosophy and their food. And I want people to understand that it's a food book and a business book. And I actually had a lady tell me she had never written, she had never read a business book before. This is the first business book she's ever read. And she really, really liked it, which was a huge compliment because I want people who typically read business books to read this book. But if you're interested in food and you want to understand the network that supports an organization like Zingerman's, then you will get some of the business principles in this too. And maybe you'll get some ideas that you can apply to your own business or take to your workplace. I, I love it. And I have to say, and this is a no pun intended, but it, this is a very digestible. Oh, thank you. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I, I'm often, you know, Sorry, I, I'm often good at like marketing and different things, and um, you know there are aspects of business that I'm good at. There are aspects of business that I'm terrible at, and I, <laughs> I would never like willingly pick up a business book that's you know, uh, you know, some CEO, some major company. I just don't. Maybe I should, but I don't see that it's going to relate to me. But this oh. really has some great takeaways. I want to read um, yeah. read oh. for you. Um, what you'll take home: Zingerman's ideas can be applied to whatever you do whether your company is large or small, just as Toyota's philosophies become familiar to everyone in the business. And I love this, uh, um, Saginaw says, I don't buy into the traditional economic theory that business of business is business. I love this. What matters to me is when my employees say that they work in a group with their friends. Right, right. So it's not only about business and food. I think that it's clear to, that that. One of the reasons that Zingerman's has become so successful, it's a quality of life in a community. Yes, and it's it's contributed enormously to the quality of life here in Ann Arbor. 
And, you know, when I would travel, it would, you know, up until about the year 2000, I would say, I'm from Ann Arbor. And people say, oh, I went to the University of Michigan, you know, go blue. Um, I taught at Michigan. My parents went to Michigan. And around 2000, I started to hear people say, oh, Ann Arbor, we love Zingerman's. Right. And it would be about as many people would mention Zingerman's as would mention the city, you know, the University of Michigan. And yes, that sir. told me what kind of an impact they were making on people who love food. And I don't think they would make the same impact if they were just a store selling expensive food, because we in the food world have seen dozens of those stores open up over the years that are no longer with us. I mean, if you think about Dean and DeLuca, which is much more famous than Zingerman's, I think, yeah. you know, they're, well, they're gone. I was thinking about that when you were yeah. in the book, you know, about when I moved to New York in 2000, oh my gosh, there was like a million and twelve like gourmet food stores because that's when yeah. we shopped for Martha Stewart, right? Right, sure. Yeah, and if you think about, I mean, Zabar's, for the people who are New Yorkers, is about the closest thing to Zingerman's that I can think of, except that, you know, Zabar's is one store, which I absolutely love. When I went to Columbia University, if I had money, I would get on the bus and jump off at Zabar's and do a little bit of shopping. Um, and they have a mail order catalog and they do mail order, but, and, you know, they do bake some of their own products. They do, they do package their jams, um, and their coffee and things like that. But Zingerman's is a whole set of businesses, not just like Zingerman's, but there's 12 or 13, I guess you could call them cottage industries under that umbrella. Yeah. No, it really, that is so funny because that is exactly the, the, the phrase that I wrote down, like Zingerman's has become a cottage industry. Yeah. So let's talk, let's just bring, keep bringing it back to the book because I feel like that this is, this is, um, it's like I said, very digestible. So it's about food. And if you like, uh, if you like deli food, if you like, if you've heard of Zingerman's or a customer or received the catalog, you know, some people may not be interested in the business aspect, but this is the part that I think is so fascinating. I know someone last week that's ill that was sent mm. in Atlanta from another person in Atlanta <laughs> a gift basket from Zingerman's, right? Yeah, so there's yeah. plenty of places to it, – it's phenomenal. So let's talk a little bit about you. You you know, you really break break it down. Um, the, the subtitle, How Zingerman's Built a Corner Deli into a Global Food Community. Yeah. So what is this cottage industry – global food community. I mean, these are some pretty big words right. around with pastrami. So. Yeah, sure. So let me just tell you about this this idea of the cottage industries. So Henry Ford, who, by the way, did not invent the automobile, and that was always a trick question on my classes at the University yeah. of Michigan, but Henry Ford popularized the assembly line. He had this, you know, he had those big old factories that you've seen in all that black and white footage. But he also set up what were called the cottage industries plants. And they're in small towns all across Michigan, all the way down to Louisiana. It turns out that there was one, you know, that far south. And what would happen was he had farmers that went to work for him in his plants. And then every year at harvest time, the farmers would disappear and he was short of people to work. And he thought, well, why don't I put the factories where the farmers are? And so when they they can go off and harvest and then they can come in and work the night shift. And he built this little 
sort of network of cottage industry plants to make parts and things like that across the Midwest. And that meant that he didn't have the kind of turnover that he had when he only had those great big plants and everybody came in and people would just say, sorry, I'm not available for the month of September. Well, this way they were available for the month of September and beyond that. So I think it's very interesting to see Zingerman's copy that to a certain degree. The reason it got started was that they, for the original deli, they used to drive all over the Detroit area picking up loaves of rye bread for their sandwiches. And anybody who was coming in from Oak Park, Michigan, which is 35 miles away, can you bring a bag of bread? And so it was terribly inefficient. It was great bread, but terribly inefficient. And so they decided for their first business that they ought to have a bakery or a bakehouse, as they call it. Then they wanted to serve bagels, which they made with cream cheese. And they didn't like any of the cream cheeses because they had all that gunk in them, you know, the, the preservatives. And they found a recipe for an art, you know, artisanal clean cream cheese. And they started a creamery so they could make their own cream cheese. And then they realized that people wanted coffee to go with the bagels and the sandwiches and everything. And they, they were way behind like Starbucks and Pete's and others. But then they started the coffee company and then they had all these products and they figured, well, people are calling us to mail order them things anyway. Why don't we start a mail order business? And then what happened was there were other employees within Zingerman's that had ideas for businesses. So there's one gentleman that loved chocolate and they let him come up with an idea for a chocolate company. And then one of the chefs said, you know, we should do a sit down restaurant that serves American food. And here came the Roadhouse. And then Miss Kim, which actually serves Korean food. And you might wonder, why do they have a Korean restaurant? Well, because they had a chef, a cook chef, someone who'd worked at the Roadhouse, who wanted to serve her kind of food. And they set her up first in a a food truck. And then the food truck became a restaurant. And while, you know, Zingerman's really is more of American food, it really is this global food community, and their Korean restaurant reflects that. That's just amazing, and I've got to definitely have a, a question. All right, y'all, go to my Instagram feed, check out Satisfaction Guaranteed, how Zingerman's built a deli, corner deli into a global food community, and you're going to follow the instructions, and you can enter to win a copy, and what we're going to do is the publisher's going to send you a book, uh, but Nikki is going to send you a signed book plate, so that's super exciting. So my follow-up question there is, I'm a little bit more familiar with how it works, but I mean, most businesses, and I think this is what's so cool about what you've done with your book, most businesses go like, hey, hey, cook, what do you want to do? How do you want to grow our business, right? Like a lot of times people clock in, they go to work, they leave, they go home. If they're lucky, they get a decent paycheck. But that's not how Zingerman's work, but employees are, are owners, or will you explain that just a little bit? Yeah, so first of all, everybody who works at Zingerman's goes through extensive training. So when you get arrive, you actually sign a training contract with them, and they tell you what they're going to teach you, and then you agree that you're going to learn it. So... After day one, you're going to know these things. After day seven, you're going to know these things. After 30 days, 60 days, that kind of thing. And there's incentives along the way. I mean, you get little gift cards and you get you know, yep, free, yep. free sneakers and stuff like that. But, but you are signing on to do the work just as they are signing on to teach you. And out of that, they grew an organization okay. called Zing Train. 
And it was originally the training was meant for their employees, and then they realized that everybody else in the restaurant industry to start with could probably use some organized training like this. And one of the first people that took advantage of it was Rick Bayless in Chicago. And he said that there's a lot of Zingerman's that doesn't translate to Chicago because, you know, Ann Arbor's got all these, you know, students running around getting their PhDs. But he said customer service and storytelling about the dishes, that translates to any business. Um, and so he believes that their customer service and the way that they explain things to customers has been universally transferable to his business and to other businesses. And so I think that whole idea of not only teaching employees and getting them excited about being part of a family, you know, we say family. I mean, I think community is a better word and Zingerman's uses that word because families come with a lot of baggage and sturm and drong and all that. And a community, I think maybe we tend to have maybe a little firmer boundaries and an agreement that we have to live among each other. I mean, now I know things are kind of treacherous around the country, but at least the idea of community is that you're part of a larger organization that's kind of rowing towards the same destination. Yeah, I know. It's co community and commitment, right? I mean, they really do go hand in hand. It's like just about being a good citizen. Right. You know, why are you doing that? Because it's the right thing to do, yeah. you know, and, and so it's just really wonderful to see that this place that sells sandwiches. Right, but I think also one of the one of the benefits of it is that you're going to get a bonus. I mean, you I don't think anybody's working there for the money uh, per se because you can go work at Costco here and make $27 an hour, you know, but Costco's not going to give you 60 days worth of training and they're not going to help you if you have the dream of you know, opening your own Triscuits business or something like that. Um, and right. now the employees at Zingerman's that have been there for more than one year can buy stock in Zingerman's. And if, you know, your business, if it does well, you get a bonus. And then if you have stock in the company, you'll get a bonus too, um, according to the overall profits of Zingerman's. And so there are these incentives and they're important to some people. They're not important to other people, but uh, the ones that, you know, the ones who stay, this is a saying at the University of Michigan, the ones who stay will be champions. And I, it's kind of the same way for Zingerman's. No, it's so true. And I just, uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, what you've done, I think, is that, you know, you're, I was thinking about this when I was reading this, like, you're, a, you're a journalist, right. and I have to consider myself a food writer. And I feel like that's really different, because I feel like that you just asked the you ask the right questions <laughs> and and you uh, are able to tell the story and really that, that this it's this story so even though they've written their own books and told right. their story yeah. you have this sort of outsider's perspective mm -hmm. and a journalist's perspective ear and eye yeah. on how to even even to pull out even further the the, the useful bits of information so phenomenal thank book thank you it, it, it's just it, i really I, I remember when this all started going down and you know when we were having you know just twos and fros about different things and um and then obviously the pandemic and off all, all of that but Nikki, it's been so wonderful having you on the show today huh. I, I feel like i could just keep we could just keep yeah. talking about like all this cool stuff so 
Well, y'all, I want you to go to Instagram. You're going to um, see the copy of the book. You're going to like me. You're going to like Mickey. Mickey, thank you so much for coming on. I really Oh, my pleasure. You. Thank you so much for your time. It's just been a joy. Awesome. Awesome. I'll see you around. Okay. Hey, y'all, isn't that cool? I mean, really great book. Obviously available all over the place. The, the Big Evil A, Barnes & Noble. <laughs> um, try to support your local independent bookstore. Um, really great book. I mean, when I say digestible, I'm using it sort of as a pun, but it truly is. Um, you know, I, I can get light and fluffy sometimes with business books. It's not my strength, and I have been just devouring um, this book, so it's been great. I want to thank y'all so much for watching. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to keep cookbooks with Virginia in my super busy schedule. Got lots of great things coming up. Um, but you can keep keep track of me here um, on Facebook or YouTube and Instagram. And to find all those things, go to virginiawills.com. So thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye now. Y'all have a great day. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Virginia Willis. Let me get you up to speed on what's happening with me. Um, as you know, I write a column for the Washington Post. My work appears on The Takeout in the Ann Arbor Observer. And I am about to make a big move. I'm going to be leaving Ann Arbor very soon and moving down to New Orleans. Now, as everybody tells me, you don't want to spend the summer in New Orleans. I'll probably be back up in Ann Arbor for part of that time. But it's the first time I've ever gotten to do a move where I was moving to a city where I really wanted to live for reasons other than a job. One of the reasons I want to live in New Orleans is that I'm already a member of a Mardi Gras crew, which is called the Crew of Themis. We are a social justice-focused crew of all women, and we are associated with the Crew of Ferret. I did not get to ride in our Mardi Gras parade this year because my Aunt Maxine Clapper had recently died. But what I am doing is I'm selling the house where we lived. We're going to have a great big estate sale. So if you're in the Ann Arbor area, keep an eye out on the last weekend in April, first weekend in May. And I am going to pack up my car and take a little road trip through Chicago and some other places on my way to New Orleans. So I think the next time I check in with you, I will be down there. But I'm looking forward to seeing you all in person or here on the podcast and Wish me luck on my trip. Thanks so much, and we'll talk soon. The Culinary Woman podcast comes to you from the Culinary Woman newsletter, which is published on Substack. Think about subscribing. Think about taking out a paid subscription or becoming a member of the Culinary Woman community. Our paid subscribers and our community members get early access to what's in the newsletter. They're eligible for drawings and they get other special content that's not available to our free subscribers, although we love our free subscribers. Follow Culinary Woman on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, and on Instagram, I'm at Micheline Maynard. You will find all kinds of updates on Satisfaction Guaranteed on the Culinary Woman Facebook page and on my website, which is MichelineMaynard.com. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe and see you next time.